Friends, as we prepare to listen to God's word, I forgot there's there's uh, one item of prayer that you could uh, just jot down if you keep a little prayer diary and you want to pray for. Uh, just remember, Faye and I, we are uh, we are flying down to Texas tomorrow morning. We leave town and and about noon we'll be heading down to spend a couple weeks with my family, my father and my brothers and sisters' families and in laws and and so forth. Maybe we'll take a drive and meet some cousins. It'll be a wonderful, wonderful time. So just uh, remember us while we're gone and pray and remember Pastor Dave and the church that we leave behind. And the reason I mention we're gone, not only because we covet your prayers, is that remember last year, it's hard to believe how fast a year goes by, but I love the fact that we have the Easter decorations up, and I encourage those who do such a wonderful job decorating the church to leave them up at least until the Feast of Pentecost. That's that's like seven weeks. It's a 50-day span of time because as we saw last year, in the early church, the Christians always saw that season between Passover and Pentecost, or in their, in their experience, between Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, his crucifixion on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Sunday, all the way until the birth of the church at the Feast of Pentecost. Those were precious times to the early church because the risen Lord was with them, meeting with groups small and large, it was a wonderful time. And since then, the Christians really celebrated that Easter season, that newness of life, spiritual life, with that 50 days of Easter. And that was our theme last year, 50 days of Easter. So what do I do in my wonderful planning this year? I leave right after Easter's done. Well, I, I wanted to stay because I know it's already getting a little warm, a little too warm for our taste in Central Texas, but uh, I didn't want to miss the Easter season here with our, our church family because we love it here during the Easter time. But uh, as, a, as a theme beginning, we want to look at the difference that Easter makes in our lives over these weeks leading up to Pentecost. And in beginning that, myself and Pastor Dave, we're going to speak on three important things that mark the life of a Christian. In fact, as you see from that very familiar Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that the last verse of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul, who in chapter 12 to the Corinthian church, has just been talking about spiritual gifts and how the church ought to conduct itself, because that Corinthian church, I love them dearly because of all of the churches we see in the New Testament, they had the most problems. They were the most like us. They they just they 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 fought over things. They brushed things under carpets. They just they were they could have been a modern church today. They they were people, people trying to become more like Jesus and struggling along the way. So the apostle Paul, like like a a, a caring mother, he he writes to them and he tries to correct them and and seeks where they need it. They need discipline and they need growth and. And we learn so much from the Corinthians. But after all of that, that going back and forth over spiritual gifts, and you like this teacher, but that preacher is my better taste. And, you know, they seem to be divided over so many ways. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now I will write you a chapter that's only to be used at weddings. Well, no, obviously he didn't do that. Unfortunately, that's most often where we hear 1 Corinthians 13. What he was doing was giving us a blueprint for how to live life together as Christians. He says, having said all of this about orderly churches and use of gifts, interpreting tongues, all of this, 
He says, now I will show you a more excellent way. And he launches into it. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And he goes through about those things in the Christian life that are truly important. And he talks about faith that will move mountains, quoting Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about faith. He talks about living our life expectantly with right motives and with incredible good works if I give everything I have to the poor. But the importance of love. Because he had noted that though they had certain Christian qualities, that they were truly lacking the essential quality of love. He sums up the chapter with this verse. And now, these remain, faith, hope, and love. He says at the end of the day, the Christian life, where things come and go, there are seasons of life. We have energy and youth and we're strong and we have passion and we have vision and we have happiness, but there's a season for all of those. And very soon, the green leaves of spring wither into the golden leaves of fall and then winter comes. Everything else goes. But Paul says at the end of the day, child of God, follower of Jesus, these remain, faith, hope, and love. Now, it's interesting to me that something so important, you can't really touch it. You can't see it directly, faith, hope, and love. A number of you, we had a wonderful breakfast with dad yesterday. Grandpas and dads and kids came out, and we had wonderful cooks. They made delicious French toast and eggs and sausage, and all Pastor Alan really supplied was stuff to put on the French toast, ice cream, chocolate chips, Reese's Pieces, strawberry puree, chocolate sauce, butterscotch sauce, I have one uh, French toast I call the Elvis, peanut butter and sliced banana. That was Elvis's favorite food, grilled peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Very healthy. And we had this wonderful morning together, but our theme was the Spirit of God. I, I, I quizzed the kids. I told them I'd been out in a field and there was something going on. It was a mystery to me. It kind of scared me because I couldn't see what was happening. But the trees that I know don't have muscles, I know they're technically alive like a plant, but they're not like an animal, they started to move. I said, those trees were moving and they were making noise, all this rustling noise, and, and then something started to push on me. And what little bit of hair I had started to move around. I was, I, what was it? And then I, even the little hairs on my arms were moving and, and, and I got goosebumps and I, I felt cold. Well, the kids knew right away. They said, dummy. They didn't start actually that way. They thought it. <laughs> they said, it's the wind. Remember Jesus? Jesus in John chapter 3 says, you don't see the Spirit. It's like the wind. But you see what he accomplishes. He's powerful. You don't think the wind is strong. We're heading down to tornado country. And this coming week, there's thunderstorms and tornado warnings going to be throughout the week. But people get used to it. You don't see that wind, but it's powerful. And then Mr. Tim came and we did balloon animals because we saw that the Spirit is God's breath that He breathes into us and, and it, provides, it provides life to us. God breathed a life into us when we became living beings. You don't see any of that, but you experience the impact of it. These three, when you 
think about it, they're just thoughts, aren't they? Faith, hope, and love. It's how you think. It's something in your heart and mind. It's an attitude. It's a habit of thought that is important to you. And these, that anyone in the world can experience, they are precious to believers because our thoughts, this pathway of thinking, this attitude of the heart is all centered around Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. Our hope is in Christ. Our love is beyond our meager, fickled human love, and it's the love of Jesus for us and in us and through us to a hurting world. Faith, hope, and love, these remain. Well, I'll be here for the first one. So let's look this morning at the first of those things that remain. These remain faith. Faith. Faith in Hebrew, it, you know, the word hemun in Hebrew, it really connotates faithfulness. You can be counted on. You're trustworthy. You follow through. And they saw that in God. In fact, friends, what you'll notice each week is that faith, hope, and love, they're important to you and I as believers because each one of them is rooted in the very nature of God. He is a trustworthy God. And though we can't see Him, we could see Him for a brief span of years, a little over 30 years, we could see Him and touch Him and hear Him with our ears, physical ears. Jesus incarnate, the Word became flesh. But in the garden in John 17, Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen me. These with him, the disciples, they saw him, they heard him, they put their faith in him, but more blessed are those of you who put your faith in Jesus and haven't seen him. In fact, that's the thought as Melody read passages from Hebrews chapter 10, 11, 12. That's a thought that we see in that, that biblical definition of faith given in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Certainty. Sure, surety. You are certain. You are sure. You are settled in your mind of the truth of something, though you haven't seen it. The evidence of something is clear to you, and you believe it. And you have such faith that you stake your eternal destiny on it. We can do that. Because as we'll see, we can put our trust in a trustworthy God. We depend on Him. In a certain sense, one of the uses of the New Testament word for faith is simply belief. But it's more than that. You don't just believe there's a Jesus. Jesus says the demons in fear believe things about him. They know him and tremble, but you believe that he loves you and that he gave himself on the cross for you. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead and that by putting your faith in him, as he promised, as he promised Martha at the tomb of her brother, that though you experience physical death, you will never die. You'll be in him. Well, as we look at Jesus today and the thought of faith in our hearts and lives, 
just a few points briefly with you. The first is we can do this because our God is faithful and true. Jesus isn't like the ancient deities who's like us, made in our image rather than we created to reflect God's glory. The ancient Greek gods were a selfish, angry, fickle bunch. You couldn't trust them. You were in fear of them. You tried to keep them placated and happy. In fact, fear is the basis of most world religion. Fears of an angry deity or deities and seeking to appease them, make sacrifice to them, placate them so they will not harm us. This is not the biblical God, the true God that we know. He's faithful God. He's a true God. He's a just God. He's dependable. We can put our faith in him because he doesn't change from today till tomorrow. I did put my faith in this God, but he's different today, and it's, it, it, it all goes out the window. One of the things we see is that God is dependable, that he is faithful. This is his nature. And as I said, faith, hope, and love are rooted in God's essential nature. All the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second law. It's like a second retelling of the first four books of the Bible, of the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy sums it all up and restates it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, we read of God. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. That is faithful. We can trust God. He keeps his promises. If he makes a covenant, a loving agreement, and develops a relationship with us, it's trustworthy. We can put our trust in him. That same thought's continued back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I'm going to read a verse earlier than what's on the screen. I will proclaim the name of of the Lord. This is Moses' farewell song. I will declare the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. That's God's unchanging faithfulness. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Just means right and fair. You can trust God's faithfulness, his just nature, his fairness. The part of God's justice, of course, is that sin must be punished. God doesn't look the other way. He can't be corrupted. He's not the unjust judge. There is a sin problem. Jesus is the answer to that. And the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God that we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament are summed up in Jesus the second person of the triune God, Jesus, the Word through whom all creation came into being. I love one of the pictures of Jesus we have in that most visual of books, the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. Oh, the names of Jesus. We talked about the names of Jesus this past year. The writer who is called faithful and true. You can have faith in him. and Put your faith, put your trust in him because he is faithful and true. Because though 
For instance, the book of James uses the word faith, the Greek word for belief. Like it takes more than belief. It needs to actually have an impact. And believing works need to follow from it to be saving faith. Most often, the word for faith in the New Testament is used of, in the sense of trust. Who do you trust? And friends, the fact is, Everybody puts their faith in someone or something. Your, your, most, your most grounded and hardcore atheist friend is a religious person. <laughs> Atheism is a religion. Everybody has a religion. We have a worldview that we function by. We have an understanding of the world around us, a worldview. And it's based on many things and sometimes nothing at all. It's a faith. And you put your faith in someone. Some people, without really knowing what they're saying, they say, well, I, my, my faith's in science or my faith's in this. Sometimes it's closer to home. We want to put our faith in our spouse. We've made promises to one another. But as we saw last week on Easter, that Jesus is the one who keeps promises. We humans, we break them every day. He alone is faithful and true. And because of that, God in His justice, married to His love and graciousness, gives us Jesus. And we are saved through faith in Him. It's God's grace that saves us, but how does it get to my sinful heart? It gets to me as I open that door of faith in what Jesus has done for me. It's a mystery. I don't fully understand it. I know what the words mean. I know what they mean in that order. But the depth and the profound meaning of saved by grace through faith, it's astounding to me. And of course, that comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul talking to people who were legalistic, looking down their nose and got all up and judgy and other Christians. And he says, you, can't, you have no reason to judge others. All of us are, are saved. We're sinners saved by grace through faith. And he says, even the faith... And this astounds me. Even saving faith is beyond me. Because if it depended on me, I would have that saving faith today and I'd lose it tomorrow. Because of that, a lot of people over the years have believed you could get your salvation and lose it and get it and lose it and all depended on the strength of your faith. But Paul says, oh no, even that faith is a gift from God. You don't even have that in yourself. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For it is by grace, God's grace revealed in Jesus, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, saving faith, and this, not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. It's a gift of God, not by works that so no one can boast. That faith is that avenue of salvation. We are saved through faith. Paul writing to the church in Rome, summing up his teaching and his preaching before he visited them there, he says in Romans chapter 3, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, it's not, salvation is not earned by keeping rules, righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all believe. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And it comes to you by putting your faith in Him.
Now, some people, they like to knock Billy Graham during his incredible ministry. We don't know. We'll know in heaven, but we don't know. But it seems to me probably more people put their faith in Christ through that one man's ministry than all the people before him. John Wesley, oh, he preached many times a day for years, but to relatively small groups, but through crusade evangelism and the miracle of modern television and media, many people put their faith in Christ. Now, some of them, it was an emotional decision in the spur of the moment, and and that decision was like the uh, seed that falls on the, the rocky soil and quickly disappears. Some people claim that Billy Graham preached easy beliefism. That was the insult. But he taught what the Bible teaches, that only through faith, belief, trust in Jesus can you be saved. And he called upon people to put their faith in him and make that decision of faith. We're saved through faith. Now, something that you don't often hear from people, people like to make caricatures of different groups. And, and many evangelical churches, some of them are very charismatic, and it's all about the Holy Spirit, almost, almost above Jesus. And there's a lot about healing, primarily physical healing, sign gifts. But the simple fact of Scripture is, not only are we saved by faith, but we are healed through faith. Jesus is our great physician. And physical healings happen. They're in God's hands. I don't believe in faith healers. I believe that God heals. Because you know what I mean by faith healers. When I was a boy, uh, we lived cheek to jowl with Oral Roberts University, the city of faith. And Oral Roberts was a famous faith healer. Now, he could, he could on a good day preach the gospel, but more often than not, he was talking about physical healings and, and raising money through that way. And one of my beloved grandmothers, in fact, it was my great-grandmother on my mom's side, my older brother was born with flat feet, walked around kind of splay foot, flat foot like a duck. Well, he was very athletic, and uh, it never bothered him, but it bothered my great-grandmother. And so if Oral Roberts was on TV, he used to stand on TV with his healing hands up, and she had faith in Oral Roberts. She'd, she'd grab up my brother in his little shorts, squirming like a little possum, and she'd grab him, and she'd stick his feet to the television screen. <laughs> oh, his feet were still flat. I, I, not to belittle my great-grandmother. She was a loving, believing woman. But God does heal. Sometimes, though, we stop right there. We will look for physical healing. We pray for it. That's a big part of our praise and prayer, trusting God to work in and through our lives. Some of you right here have received physical healings. Some of you, the doctors may have, may have partnered or may have been used by God, but you know where your healing came from. But the fact is, friends, it's only temporary. Sorry to break it to you, but barring the return of Christ, you're going to get old, wrinkle up, get sick, and die. That's your good news. Amen. Go home now. No. But the reality is, we have a God who's promised life, and that life abundantly. Don't stop by looking for physical healing. Look for something more. As Paul says, desire the greater gifts, not healing, the prophecy, faith, knowing God better. The greatest miracle to me is salvation. He can take 
the rankest sinner and take out that heart of stone and give him a living heart of flesh. God can save. God can heal a broken heart. God can heal a wounded spirit. God can heal a troubled mind. People struggle with mental challenges and illnesses and broken relationships. We need the great physician to come in and heal these situations. Far more healing needs to take place than just these earthly tents that we live in for a season. But in Jesus' ministry, that's one of the great signs that the Messiah had come. Physical healing. Well, at least it was almost as great as that spiritual deliverance as he cast out demons, brought people to life through saving faith. But I love the fact that faith is always involved. Jesus didn't just come around with his his healing fingers going pew, pew, shooting healing at people, whether they wanted it or not. They had to seek him out. They had to believe that God would heal them through Jesus. They put their faith in him. And that, just like salvation, your faith is an avenue of the grace of God. It's also the avenue for the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had to open their heart and mind and spirit to God's work. We see, for instance, in the Gospels, a couple of verses in Matthew 9 and one in Mark. In Matthew chapter 9, we'll begin with the story in verse 27, 28. I'll start a little earlier. I love this story. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. <laughs> I just imagine that. And the people say, no, and they turn him, yell over that way. Have mercy on us, son of David. But Jesus just goes on by. When he had gone indoors, the blind men, they came to him. And they asked him, And uh, they came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He's asking about faith. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according, in accordance with, following naturally on your faith in accordance, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. They believed. And their belief was not in quack medicine of the day. They didn't put leeches on their eyes. They didn't. Their faith was in God. Their faith was in God. It was where it needed to be. But when that faith is not there, we see something very different happens. Remember when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth and they had heard all of the stories that this hometown boy, wherever he went, demons were cast out, great miracles were done, thousands were fed with a few loaves, the the sick were healed, the dead were raised, and he comes home and, and nothing's happening. Mark chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own house, is a prophet without honor. And it says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. They had closed the door to the work of God because they thought they knew him. They could not perceive that one of their own from their little village on that 
on that hill above the valley of Jezreel that God could do that and that he was who he said he was. They just couldn't believe. Where they couldn't believe, the door was closed and God didn't work. But in the same way, where the belief is there, we go back to, we go back to Matthew chapter 17. We love the story of, of Jesus and the woman who had been suffering for so many years. She'd been suffering with a, an issue of blood. And in her society, she would have been, or Matthew chapter 9, rather. And in, in her society, she would have been an outcast. Nobody would have had any room for her. And it says, as Jesus was going because the man's daughter had died, Jesus was on his way to perform a resurrection. He was on his way because of a father's faith. A woman in the crowd who, in their laws, Jesus could not touch her because she was unclean. Verse 20 says, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, her faith thought, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. The other accounts say that Jesus stopped dead in the crowd and he stopped and said, whoa, 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 somebody touched me. (laughs) And Peter and the others say, what do you mean? The crowd is crushing us here. What do you mean somebody touched me? He said, I felt power go out of me. Somebody had come to him in faith. She'd been healed. And I wonder, what healing do we need today? What wounded spirit? enslaved or troubled mind what addictive pattern of behavior what broken relationship needs healing i know where you need to go can't do it yourself it's not going to be found from a doctor or a counselor or even a pastor's office it's found it's found in jesus it's your faith in the great physician because we are saved by faith we are healed through faith as well And it's summed up in the very fact that you are called to live by faith. You come to life by faith, and that's how you are to live your life as well. By trusting daily in God's provision for you. When you get up in the morning, I know some people, they they delay their Bible reading to the end of a busy day, and they give thanks for that day, and they go to bed. Others want to get a start on it. They don't know what the day is going to hold. And, and I encourage you, if you want, you could do both. I love the old Charles Spurgeon devotional called Morning and Evening. You were in God's Word before the day began and at the end, and you reflect on not only what God would do and what you would need, but what He did throughout the day. Called to live by faith. Trust the unseen Jesus in our daily lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in this body, we're away from the Lord. We can't see him. And when you can't see, you're left with faith. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Living by faith, not by sight. 
Some people look at you and your circumstances and they make a quick judgment. They literally judge the book by its cover. Oh, you can't do this or you won't do that or you'll likely do that and it won't be any good. But we live by faith, not by sight. We look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And through faith in him, he wants you to live life every day trusting him. I often ask myself the question and ask others, does it take faith in Jesus to live the life you're living today? If somebody was impersonating you and they had no faith in God, could they pull it off? Could they pull it off? Does it take faith to live my life or your life? Jesus said, it's not the amount of faith. It's not the strength of the faith. It's where it is. What do you put your trust in? What do you rely on day by day? And Paul referring to faith that moves mountains, that came right from Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 17, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Remember, he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the crowd was jeering and angry because those who were left, the 10 disciples or the, the nine disciples at the bottom of the hill, they, they, couldn't ca- they couldn't cast out a demon that was troubling this child. And then Jesus did. They said, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Well, as Paul even used that phrase, I didn't see the the Pyrenees in Spain or the Alps in Switzerland moving from one place to another in the early church. They understood God had bigger business, and they prayed and trusted God in his will. (laughs) You don't think a mountain moved? The Roman Empire was killing the Christians. They eventually bent their knee before the cross of Jesus. That's history. Now, we don't like all the things that came with it, state church and so forth, but they broke the heart of a demonically-led Roman Empire through their faith and love and hope. Those Christians standing in the Colosseum, torn apart by wild animals, and not turning away from Jesus, not denying Him, that broke the heart of a bloodthirsty people. They saw the faith and mountains were moved. What mountain needs to be moved in your life? What thing do you think you'll have to just live with for the rest of your life because you've tried and you've prayed and you've done your best and it's never been good enough? Jesus said, have faith. Have faith. Always pray. Never give up. Have faith. It's not the size of it. It's where you place it. It's who your faith is in. And we finish where we've been so much today in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and following. The people that this book was written to had exhibited faith. They'd undergone persecution, but they were tired. And some were considering abandoning the faith for their own safety and comfort. And so the apostle writes, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. The promise of faith is 
life, eternal, rich reward. Jesus always looked for faith, always commended it, always rewarded it. For in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be condemned, but for our lives and our works to be judged. And those things that will find reward and crowns rewarded, those will be works of faith. God did it through us because we trusted Him. Now in the next few weeks, Pastor Dave is going to share that hope and love rooted in the nature of God, how they are profoundly played out in our lives and how they make all the difference. Friends, as we pray together, the worship team will join me once more on the platform. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, a word like faith comes easily to our lips. But Lord, often it's missing in our hearts. We may say we believe and worship you with our lips, but our hearts might be far away from you. Father, people understand, people see, people know where we put our faith. Is it in money? What is it in? Is it in other people? Lord, all of these things will fail. Only faith in Christ brings not only salvation, but a life worthy of that calling. Lord, we're saved by faith. We need to live by faith. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. Our prayer today, grow our faith. For it's in Jesus. And we pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.